This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. Monday and happy Halloween to you. It is The Drive on WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad. Where we just had the feeling heading into the weekend, it would be trick for either Wake Forest or North Carolina, and likely a treat for the other. And that's exactly what went down. The executive producer of this show, Will Dalton, was in Chapel Hill watching as the Heels essentially locked up the Coastal Division against Pitt. Meanwhile, I was standing field level at Neyland Stadium about an hour before Tennessee, Kentucky kicked off, and every time I peered up at one of those screens they had down there, Wake Forest Louisville was on it. Louisville's lead continued to grow in the second half, and it became clear Wake's nightmare had been realized. But the reaction to Saturday has been funny to me. Wake Forest exposed. Wake Forest is a fraud. Sam Hartman, same old bleep, same old Sam Hartman, and so on and so forth down the line. All of that is BS to me. Because after re-watching it yesterday, because I couldn't live, having a good old time in Knoxville, which I'll tell you about a little bit later on. It's live action, Tracy! Nothing about Wake Forest was exposed by the Louisville Cardinals. Nothing. They simply had a third quarter from hell. This is a line I hear. Look at the final score. Look at the numbers. Wake was dominated from end to end. Thoroughly dominated. But wasn't Wake leading at halftime? Words matter for me. And when you say someone's thoroughly dominated, usually I think you're leading the game from beginning to end, not losing at the halfway point. It was a third quarter from hell, straight out of a horror movie. Six turnovers in one quarter, three picks, three fumbles. Now, I'm not sanitizing how bad that quarter was or doing the Jeff Bizdelic thing of saying, if it wasn't for that third quarter, who knows what would have happened? No, no, no. Louisville deserves all the credit. Wake Forest was horrific enough in that quarter. It didn't matter what happened the rest of the game. So don't get me wrong here. But one quarter is not representative of this team's season. If you've been listening to this show for any period of time, you'll know what I'm about to say because I've sound like a broken record saying it for years now, this being the longest local running sports talk show in the history of this market, by the way. Just want to throw that in there. It's important to trust larger sample sizes in times like this. And understand that the smaller sample sizes, talking about a quarter here, not even a full game, can be misleading. Wake Forest played poorly, and it cost them. Is it possible that that's all it is? That Wake just played poorly, and it doesn't have to mean something bigger or larger about this football team at large? Because that's what I think we're looking at. This is not Groundhog Day for Sam Hartman. He had three picks against Wisconsin, and consecutive drives, three or four, and through all those picks in the bowl game or the ACC championship game against Pittsburgh, here's same old Sam Hartman again. Nothing's really changed. I don't buy that. 
Protection broke down in a major way. Is it Sam's fault he got sacked six times in that quarter alone? And a play that was borderline a fumble was ruled one that very well could have been his arm moving forward and it being a forward pass. One of the three picks, a flat-out drop by Donovan Green. Is that on Sam? Is it on Sam one of them got ran back when two receivers, A.T. Perry and Blake Whitehart, stopped running to tackle the guy out of bounds because they assumed his forward momentum was just going to fall out of bounds that he wasn't going to stay in play? Is that on Sam? How about the last, the latter pick six? Oh, just a terrible throw. He had to force it. It was fourth down. Now, it's bad it was ran all the way back. It wasn't a great throw. Sam should wear that. But it wasn't nearly the same thing to people who were in attendance for Wake-Pittsburgh in the ACC championship game as I was or the Wake-Wisconsin game in the bowl game. It's just not the same thing. It's convenient and it's lazy just to look at the stats and to look at the final score, look at the box score, and say it's the exact same thing when context and details really do matter. And this is why it frustrates me that we didn't hear from Sam after the game. Wake Forest didn't make him available. They think they're doing him a favor. Hey, we're not going to, you don't have to talk to the media after you don't play well and throw all these picks. But when you do play well, we'll hear from you. And we're going to tout you as this leader because, yeah, you're the guy who speaks when things are great, but when things go bad, we don't hear from you. He wants to play in the NFL one day. That's not how you prepare him for that because you can't hide from that when you get to the National Football League. But the point I'm trying to make is a way that you can shape narratives that come out of games. <laughs> you can explain to us some of the things that happened on some of these plays and why they became so disastrous rather than it's just the quarterback making a disastrous mistake, which I don't think it was. There are some areas to defend Sam. But if you're not a Wake fan... And again, I'm not a Wake Forest fan. I don't really have a rooting interest. I'm not attached to anybody. You might think I'm just trying to cape for Wake Forest. Really, I'm not. I just don't think anything really changes about my opinion of Wake Forest because of Saturday. Nothing. If you're of the belief it does, that Wake was exposed, tell me something we learned that you believe is legitimate about this team that we've seen in any other game. Or you believe is going to continue as we move forward. 336-777-1600 on Twitter at WSJS Radio. Because I don't see it. Nothing really changes about Wake's outlook in the month of November as the calendar flips tomorrow. They weren't going to make the playoff anyway. Because they weren't going to make the ACC championship game. Clemson has the tiebreaker. They're not going to lose two more ACC games the rest of the way. We already knew that. So what really changed with them losing and dropping from 10 to 20? You're worried about the Orange Bowl? The team that you're competing for for that distinction is North Carolina, who we learned today, 7.30 kick in Winston-Salem. Not this weekend, but next weekend on the 12th, 7.30 kick. They're coming to your place. You can decide who the best team in the state of North Carolina is on the field and who is in line to potentially get that Orange Bowl bid. You're in the driver's seat for that. You're, you have control of your own destiny with that. So the goals are all still there on the table. It was bad. It was comically bad. We understand that. Dave Clawson even acknowledged that after the game. 
What we have wrong? a good football team, but obviously I did not have us ready to go today. You know, when you have eight turnovers, uh, we're, we're always a team that has taken care of the football and we started getting loose with it at Army and then we were loose with it at BC and it, it bit us in the ass today. So hopefully those that trend that he notices following the team closer than all of us do, than anybody on the planet does, is a wake-up call for them. At a very important time, when your next three opponents are currently ranked in the AP poll, ranked in the top 25. We'll see if this turns out to be a turning point for them. On Twitter at WSJS Radio, if you want in. Will Dalton, taking your calls at 336-777-1600. Getting to the Panthers. Fans really don't want to hear this after this crazy game that we watched in Atlanta. But that was the perfect result for the Carolina Panthers. The perfect result. Because they were fun and interesting, but didn't win the game. We know this isn't a playoff team. We know that. Bob, Josh, the NFC South, stop. When you look at the schedule and how difficult it's going to get for Carolina, this is not a team that's going to win the NFC South even this year. And even if you do, okay, you won the NFC South. You're 7-10. and 10. Where are you moving forward? You're probably going to be drafting the quarterback who threw three picks in Tennessee that I watched firsthand on Saturday and Will Levis. And what happens after that? Probably not great things for you. You know you need the quarterback. That's your next step. And the way you get that quarterback is by picking in the top five. And the only way you pick in the top five is when you lose these games. That's how you get C.J. Stroud from Ohio State or Bryce Young from Alabama. But this is the part where it was the perfect result. The foundational pieces played really well. You can see the talent that's there. You can see that when that quarterback arrives, this is not going to be a really long rebuild. No. DJ Moore might have been the best player on the field when he has his helmet on. Derek Brown was super disruptive on the D-line, one of his best games as a Panther. There are a few other guys who might be some of those foundational pieces if they keep continuing to play this way. Deontay Foreman with three touchdowns. Frankie Louvu banged up, had a couple big plays, including that stop in the backfield in the first half. They were fun and interesting. Matt Rule's last few games, they weren't that. They were losing, and it was... Will this team score an offensive touchdown? Yesterday, P.J. Walker marching him up the field at key points of the game and D.J. Moore catching a 60-yard bomb through the air that actually was in the air about 70 yards on a dart. That's good. In the end, sports is entertaining. It's entertainment where it could be fun to watch or it might not be fun to watch. And I'm glad... This is a football team that is bad enough to secure a top five pick in the draft now at two and six, which they need to do in a good quarterback class next year to get this organization moving really in the right direction. But also, they're going to be fun and interesting as they lose these games now. You have things clicking in such a way that the games themselves are watchable, are worth watching week to week, which I certainly appreciate. It's the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS.
I had a great time this weekend. First visit to Knoxville, and Tennessee beats Kentucky 44-6. to Stan Cotton, voice of the Deeks, is from the state of Tennessee. Yeah. It was such a great time. Gave me a handful of recommendations. Took you up on going to Calhoun's by the river. Saw Clay Travis jump into the river while I was out there eating. A bunch of people were just crowding near the old patio there. What are you looking at? Some guy's about to jump into the river. I look over the ledge. Oh, that's some guy's Clay Travis. Clay Travis. Who once upon a time was hosting a morning show on this station at one point. So, had a great time. We'll get to Wake and Louisville in just a bit. But I have a few takeaways from Knoxville. All right, let's hear them. Few takeaways. I'm a Knoxville native now, so I'll we'll see how you do here. I'll limit it to sports in this sense. Okay. Down on the sideline before the game started, I love getting a feel for just how big and strong and fast many of the athletes are. And I was expecting watching a team that you could certainly argue is the best team in the country, has earned the number one ranking in Tennessee that it would be a significant difference from what I'm used to. Going to Wake Forest or North Carolina or Clemson game, it wasn't. The athletes aren't all that different from the ones that I watch every week in Winston-Salem. And if you think I'm just doing that because Stan Cotton's sitting in here, no. If Wake Forest played Tennessee, I think it would be a game. I really do. Offensive schemes being pretty similar, or at least being different, perfect quarterbacks for that. Back ends of the secondary that have been questionable at points. The athletes aren't that different, but here is what's different. The passion for football of Tennessee fans, really most of the SEC, that's what's different. Now, they don't have it the same way we do for basketball. They don't have that at SEC events. It reminded me being there with 100,000, the same feeling I have when it's a big game at the Smith Center or the Joel or at Cameron Indoor. They don't have that at SEC games. It doesn't just mean more for that. But when they say it just means more, that's not an indictment on the talent of the Atlantic Coast Conference of the schools that we cover. No, it's just their priority is football. When in the state of North Carolina, I think basketball still comes first. And if you were to pull fans, would you rather your team go to the Final Four or go to the college football playoff? I bet you the majority of them would say still getting to the Final Four because of the history of this state. And two, you, you, you go to those football cathedrals in the SEC. Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, uh, you know, they're all, they're all, not all, but generally there's 100,000 people. That's different, you know, and 100,000 people can give off a different vibe, especially when you've got, you know, Bama doing what it's done. Georgia, that's another great uh, college football place. They're going to be fired up this weekend. Oh, my goodness, what a game that's going to be. You know, Kentucky, what Coach Stoops has done there over the last several years. Good grief. Go to Mississippi State and look at what the Bulldogs have done with their facility. And you just, when you go from top to bottom in the ACC, a lot of the facilities aren't like that. Now, Wake's got a great facility. Great. 
but it's not a hundred thousand. So you just get it's a different vibe. And when you have some of the best teams in the country year in and year out in those types of buildings, it is what it is, and the, it's it can get crazy. The pageantry is what was amazing. Yeah. It did they, wasn't, did, did, did Tennessee doesn't do the Tennessee walking horse anymore, does it? I don't know what that is. Well, well they didn't have a horse trotting around the, the field about 30 minutes before kickoff, no, did they? Okay. there was no horse. That used to be a, a part of the, the deal back walk, in the day. When they walk into the yeah, stadium yeah. and thousands are waiting around for that, and you have selling out 100,000 seats. You got Rocky Top and Smokey running in the end zone. I worry about Smokey with this Tennessee team. I do. Having that dog run through the end zone every single time this team scores? That's <laughs> scary mean? stuff. What, is he going to run himself to death? That's is that what, what I'm saying. Okay. This is the last season, I think, for the older dog before the new breed, one of the, the dog's pups, takes over. Hey, those those uh, those blue tick hounds are tougher than cobs now. Okay. That, it'll be all right. I will trust you on dog expertise. How all many right. do you have? Well, one right now. Okay. Yeah, had, had to put my big German Shepherd down about a year ago, right? And and, uh, and right before that, uh, a border collie that we'd had for forever. So I'm I'm from three to one, but the one four year old Shepherd German Shepherd's uh, is a handful. Another takeaway from my first visit to Knoxville: Wake Forest is lucky to have John Curry, because I was lucky enough to get a tour of all the facilities and get to meet some folks with the athletic department. And anytime I mention where I was from, from Winston-Salem, I covered the ACC, a lot of Wake Forest, they'd all ask, do you know John Curry? Of course. Of course, we have John on all the time, and John has been pretty accessible to us. And they all would just say glowing things about him. And these are not folks that remember him when he was there in the 2000s, like 15, 20 years ago. These are folks that only remember him from the six months he was on the job before he got railroaded by Phil Fulmer and company. And a lot of people still, you know, thought that he was the right guy and left a strong imprint on them. And that was something that really stood out to me that I didn't expect to hear from a lot of Tennessee fans, given that five years have elapsed since then. And your current AD hired the guy who's right now running the show for Tennessee football and Josh Heupel, and things are humming pretty good over there. But given the way they feel that way, and Wake Forest has the reigning ACC coach of the year in football and in men's basketball, Wake Forest has a good one, and I hope they realize how lucky they are to have John Curry. I'll leave it at this. It's worked out well for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's worked out well for, uh, for Wake and John Curry. It really it has. has. It really has. It really has. Dan Cotton is in with us. It did not really work out well for Wake football this weekend, though. No, that wasn't a whole lot of fun. WD. It, was, it was fun at, at one level, but then it, there was a certain part of it that wasn't a whole lot of fun. What's the way I framed it on Friday, WD? Looking at Wake Forest being a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Louisville and Carolina being a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Pittsburgh? So he basically said that Carolina and Wake were the two teenagers in the horror movie and you don't know which one of them's going to be found diced up in a cabinet? That's right. One of the two are going to be diced up in a cabinet. Or You just didn't know which one. No, no, no. But this this was, yeah, this was. One of the two in the horror movie, because the other one has to discover them. Oh, what happened here? Ah! 
yeah. In yeah. this in in this movie though, because I was I watched this. You right? watched it up close. I had, yeah, up close. And the the first quarter was bad. It was bad, and, and Wake somehow overcame that. Got its got its you know the rubber on the road. Led at halftime. I felt really good at halftime. All right, I want to hold up Stan here. until. So Stan said the adjective he used, and he's a wordsman, a wordsmith, if you will, is bad for the first quarter. I am interested. This is like a film noir movie where I start talking to the audience. You want to give it to you now? Yeah. What adjective do you have for the third quarter? Horrific. For <laughs> Catastrophic, maybe? If, if Yeah. And, you know, it was – and that's one of those deals where you interview Coach Clawson after the game. It's like, okay, what do you say? And so you just kind of open the pipe and let him say uh, – The third quarter didn't go your way. And he jumped right on it, absolutely. And – I won't repeat what he said, <laughs> but he uh, but he pointed to you know it was one of those uh, pointing the thumb at himself. He said, "Hey, we got out coached, we got outplayed, and several other things." Uh, but it was been doing this a long time; hadn't seen one quite like that. When did you know something was off? You know, that's that's a great question, and I it was it was one of those kind of out of body experiences. While watching it, trying to describe it, it was like, really? You know, each commercial break, Larry and I were looking at one another like, is this what? <laughs> because you don't expect a Dave Clawson team to have that happen to it like that. I mean, it was a just one of those snowballs like you see on, on cartoons every Saturday morning. It starts off, you know, the size of a golf ball, and then it's the size of a building. And it's just out of control and taking everybody with it. So I don't, I, I I'm not sure. It just, but whatever could go wrong did go wrong, and it's like, hey, let's get on the plane, get out of here. Right, and that, that this is the part that bothers me. When extremes happen, usually really good or really bad, they draw more attention because we're fascinated by extremes. How many points did you put up? Seventy against Army. Well, is this the best offense in America? Or if you had six turnovers in a quarter and you lose whatever the final score ended up being, oh, did this team get exposed? One of the things I'll say on this show, and sound like a broken record, and if anybody's listened to this show for years, plural, you kind of understand where I'm headed here, is I value the larger sample size. And... I didn't get a sense because I was just peering up at a screen field level at Kentucky, Tennessee, seeing what was happening in the third quarter until re-watching it, what exactly it was. And when I figured out it was one quarter that turned out to be super catastrophic and Wake was still leading at halftime, I was more apt to side on the larger sample size of this is not usual. This is not defining what this team is about. And this is likely an aberration when you start looking ahead at what's still possible for this team, which given what Clemson has done to this point and pretty much locking up the Atlantic already, given the tiebreaker with Wake, the goals don't really change all that much for this Wake football team, even given the loss. No, and a lot of things that they want uh, still are out there, still obtainable. I spoke to a couple of high school classes last week. And under the general question of kind of 
what keeps you going all this long. It was every time you go to a game, it's like, okay, what am I going to see today? There's always the potential of what player's going to have a great game, or I guess you could go to the, the flip of that, what, what player's going to just absolutely go the opposite way, play terribly, what, what superstar is not going to deliver. Uh, and that was one of those deals where when it was over, you look back and you go, wow. I mean, I hadn't seen one like that ever. And probably, hopefully, never will. In, in terms of it being bad, it, it could it could turn out just the opposite on Saturday. Wake could go to NC State, I'm not predicting this, but you know how sports is. Wake could go to NC State and score 50 in the first quarter. You just don't know. That's why every game is so cool, because you just don't know. I won't say they'll score 50 in the no, first quarter, but... I don't think they will. I like the... But you know the I point. like the Deacons' chances. You know the... Oh. That's what I'll say right now. Really? I really like the okay. Deacons' chances there. I'll leave it at that. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. I'm disappointed in you. We've gone this far without doing the scary Halloween music thing. Then you fold, compromise your morals. Then again, aren't you a big Michael Jackson fan? I'm a big Michael Jackson fan. Then I'll allow it. The Tennessee band played this song at halftime. We'll talk about my visit to Knoxville in just a few minutes. Got some more Tennessee stories to share. I was at. Tennessee's blowout win against Kentucky. But before we get to that, got Graham's grades for this week. We spent enough time talking about that crazy game, which you could argue is the craziest game in the NFL yesterday, Panthers-Falcons. This is what else happened in the National Football League. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We don't need no passed the test. If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Hey, teacher, Time for Graham's Grades. A through F. The really good that we saw. The really bad. And the meh. Let's start with the very good. A. The San Francisco 49ers. Really, this is just an opportunity to gush about Christian McCaffrey. Passing touchdown. Receiving touchdown. And a rushing touchdown in this game. First time that's happened since LaDainian Tomlinson in 2005. The passing touchdown, his second of his career. The first time it happened was Monday Night Football against the New Orleans Saints. Of course, with the Carolina Panthers. It's a perfect fit, him being in San Fran. That's why I like I like the trade. Makes a lot of sense for the 49ers. Good to... What weapons better for a young quarterback like Trey Lance when he becomes healthy than the Swiss Army knife McCaffrey? And also another Swiss Army knife like Debo Samuel and George Kittle, who's about as versatile as they come at the tight end position. 
it's technically a road win. They won by a ton against the Rams. Kyle Shanahan continuing to own Sean McVay, except for the game where it mattered most in the NFC Championship. But they're not in first place in the NFC West. That's because B, the Seattle Seahawks are. Took out the 6-1 Giants, who were just due a loss. So many tight games. We called this one on Friday. Seattle was going to win this game because when you watch the way that they've played, it's legitimate. It's not a joke. Geno Smith is doing a great job at finding Tyler Lockett, who had a couple of tough plays yesterday, but bounced back to have a few scores. DK Metcalf and Kenneth Walker, former Deke, former Michigan State Spartan. He had the touchdown that put this game away yesterday for Seattle. Their first place in the NFC West, a fantastic story too. Close to the halfway point of the season, you have to think Pete Carroll is in the driver's seat for coach of the year. C. The guy who might have been in that conversation too was on the other sideline in that game. Seattle getting the win. Sees the Dallas Cowboys. You won the game. You're supposed to beat the Chicago Bears. You dropped nearly 50 on the Bears without Zeke Elliott. But you also allowed nearly 30 points to Justin Fields. And if you're thinking, Josh, come on, the game got out of hand. These are just some garbage scores that led to that. Uh-uh. It was 28-23. Five minutes into the third quarter. And there was a fumble and a defensive touchdown that kind of broke this game wide open. Dallas was competitive with Chicago. And this defense has to be the side that leads the way for the Cowboys. They got away with it yesterday because it's Chicago and Chicago's not any good. But the defense allowing 30, that might be something to keep an eye on. D. The New York Jets. They were at home. New England was on a short week. Mac Jones wasn't 100%. And you lose this game. And you don't even cover. Come on. Graham's grades. (sighs) Not really the platform for Graham's gambling, but... Four and four were the picks this weekend. Some horrific beats in there, too. I showed WD a couple of these. Do you, If you want to laugh at somebody, if you want to laugh at someone's pain like myself, picture having, as we did, West Virginia plus seven and a half against TCU and the final offensive play for TCU in that game. Fourth and three. You're already up three or fourth and one, and you're throwing to the end zone, and a guy's catching a contested ball for a touchdown. That is devastating if you have the Mountaineers in that spot. That was tough. Late cover play by Penn State. Hurt two, but four and four, we'll take it. F. It also hurts that the Jets had a pick six. That was taken off the board because of one of those bogus roughing the passer penalties. F, there's this is a runaway. It was an obvious answer who the F in the NFL was this week. The Las Vegas Raiders. They were shut out 24-0 by the Saints. The same Saints that the Carolina Panthers blew out shut out 
Vegas. Devontae Adams had one catch for three yards. The Raiders ran two offensive plays in Saints territory. Two offensive plays for the Raiders the entire game on the plus side of the field. That's an F. It almost seems like that these coaches that failed as head coaches before might just be bad head coaches. Josh McDaniels, Dennis Allen, who won this game? That's how you know you're bad. You lost to Dennis Allen and you got shut out 24-0. And you're supposed to be the offensive guru. Josh McDaniels, ooh. That's Graham's grades for this week. A few other Tennessee stories to share. 102,000 just might be too many people, WD. Yeah, you were telling me about this. This is probably the best hashtag it just means more story that I've got for you today. Where I'm sitting in my seats and they are tight. I was thinking about this. I'd never been to a game with a hundred plus thousand people. Been to the big college football stadiums and other places that are 75 and 80,000. Okay. Is the stadium itself looking different when you walk in? No. Neyland looks about as big as some of these other places I've been. Great place to watch a game, by the way. Had a great time. They just cram a lot of people into the bleachers, which is what I hear happens at the big house, too. I might watch my Pirates play up there to open next year, and that's fine. I'm cool with it. I love stuff like that. I love going to Cameron Indoor, which is as cramped as you're going to find in college basketball. But I'll tell you who wasn't feeling it. This gentleman who was in his late 30s, early 40s, who clearly had a few who appreciated the 7 o'clock kick, allowed him some time to get, dare I say, lubricated for the evening. And he was trying to spread himself out a little bit in the section. And an 80-year-old couple, a couple 80-year-olds here, didn't really care much for that. And they were sitting there on the end and told him, hey, could you not? And my guy didn't take too well to that. I thought it was a joke at first. But he was saying, hey, man, you want to step outside and do something? What are you going to do? And if you're yelling that at an 80-year-old man, I don't care what the circumstances are. You're wrong. You're wrong. And Sarah Bradford and I are in literally the row right behind it. It's like a movie. We're watching this. And we thought it was a joke at first. No, this guy's dead serious. And other people were just yelling, come okay, dude. Okay, dude. Okay. It was a real thing right before kick. Fantastic. Seeing SEC fans in their natural habitat. Parking aside, though, the setup is perfect. It's right off the water. And it's on campus. The campus is beautiful. And I had a, got a tour of the facilities that I thought were just awesome. You could see that they put money into a lot of different places down there. And they have that SEC TV money where they can afford it. Just really, really enjoyed it. And downtown Knoxville, I had no expectations for that. I, I didn't know that Knoxville had a downtown scene. And they had this huge farmer's market on Saturday morning that my wife loved particularly. And we walked around and it was, it really exceeded my expectations. Food was great. Calhoun's by the river, watching Clay Travis jump into the river. Was just enjoying our lunch. Hey, some dude's about to jump in the river. Okay. And that's, that was my weekend. 
the intro when the players came down out of the T that thing was through the T that was so cool I'm like oh that, that's Tennessee oh goosebumps yeah from a flyover yeah. they did a flyover right after that or right before that when they fly real low and then speed off at the end of the national anthem nothing makes me love America more than that like oh and it won't holy bleep yeah we're listening to the anthem and the jets start flying by and you can smell the gasoline oh that's great America yes America WD, before we get to critically acclaimed, the Halloween costume you best pulled off in your life. So I would say this was probably my senior year of college. I wore my Spider-Man suit, and that was back when I had like spiky hair, much shorter than now. And was it a high-quality Spidey suit? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Um, and I had the glass. So I didn't wear the mask because, like, you can never see. But I did get some fake glasses so I looked like Peter Parker. And the resemblance to Andrew Garfield, really well done. Andrew Garfield's not my Spider-Man. Not mine either. I'm Toby. Toby Maguire's my Spider-Man. But that's who I looked like. Let me think on this. There are a few that I'm vacillating between in my head right now. We'll get to in a second. Maybe Augusta Stone, Panthers.com might have one she could contribute to the conversation too when she joins us in about 10 minutes following that crazy game in Atlanta. But every week we do our ACC football rankings. We don't go 1 through 14 because really, if you're bottom four in the ACC, you don't really deserve the airtime, frankly. So we limit it to 10. And as you're about to find out, not even all 10 really deserve that airtime anyway. But let's get it started. It's called Critically Acclaimed. And we'll go 10 to 1 per usual, starting with number 10, the Miami Hurricanes. Please tell me you saw this score or you saw this highlight from Saturday. Oh, I did. 14 to 12. Uh-huh. No touchdown scored the entire game. Three overtimes. They had to decide it with a two-point shootout, which needs to be fixed. That is a horrific way to end a football game. You've already bastardized the game by narrowing the field to 25 yards in the overtime periods. Now we're just having two-point conversion plays to decide it. I am not for that. I hope they change that because I don't want to see a game of consequence. We almost got there with Wake Forest and Clemson earlier this season. I don't want to see a game of consequence in that way. Miami won it, so I'll give them the slight nod over Georgia Tech, which has been without Jeff Sims for the last few weeks, and that's made a difference. The Canes... One on the road, so 
Miami at 10. Number nine. Pitt Panthers. They lost again, but still, they're better than the bottom tier of the ACC that we're talking about. It feels like Pittsburgh is a better team than Miami is. That Louisville loss doesn't look as bad now as it did a week ago. That Tennessee loss doesn't look that bad considering you brought that to overtime. Pitt might have won that game in Chapel Hill if they didn't lose Cansey when they did early on in it. They were competitive. They could have knocked off the Tar Heels on the road. Pitt, I feel comfortable saying that they belong slotted in front of Miami. Number eight. Louisville. Beat Pittsburgh head-to-head. Beat Wake Forest by a ton. Saturday in the Ville. They've won three in a row since losing to BC by a point. And I think they might have done enough to keep Scott Satterfield employed for the cards. They just rolled Wake Forest. Now, a lot of that was self-inflicted by the Demon Deacons. That's understood. But that's two pretty good wins in a row for Louisville. Number seven. Duke. How do you not have Louisville in front of Duke? Louisville's had bad losses this year. Losing to BC again comes to mind. Duke, find the bad loss. They could have beaten Carolina, probably should have beaten Carolina. They lost their most lopsided loss this year is by eight to Kansas. So they don't have a loss in which they've been beaten by two possessions. Also, the last time we saw them, you think it's a press of Louisville? Blew out a team at home. Duke blew out Miami on the road and forced a ton of turnovers themselves. So Duke has earned more of a benefit of the doubt than Louisville has to this point. The Devils on their bye stay at seven. Number six. NC State, just in front of Duke, MJ Morris. He brought the pack back against Virginia Tech. But the reason why you're not climbing in this list and instead falling a spot from where you were a week ago, that was against the worst team in the ACC, Virginia Tech. Worst team or maybe second to worst. Boston College was beaten 13-3 to by UConn over the weekend. That's pretty tough. That's pretty grim. So it's not a substantial drop, but a drop nonetheless. The Pack found a way to win. They have an opportunity to impress this weekend if they can get another result against Wake Forest. But I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Number five. FSU. Josh, but NC State lost Devin Leary and they still figured out a way to win with Jack Chambers. Ask yourself this question. That game was played in Raleigh at night. If FSU and NC State played on a neutral field tonight, who would you take to win that game? I'm taking FSU. I'm taking Jordan Travis. I'm taking the talent that they have to beat MJ Morris and company. Now it's close, but I like the Seminoles over the Wolfpack right now. Number four. The Syracuse Orange blasted by Notre Dame. Saw that one coming. You look at that line. Well, that's stinky poo why Notre Dame's only getting a few points heading to Syracuse. It reminded me a lot of North Carolina getting beaten by Syracuse. 
when you play physical teams of that ilk, that level of recruiting, that level of physicality, and you haven't seen a lot of that before this year, that's tough to deal with. Now, I know they played Clemson a week ago, which is pretty physical too, but the way that Notre Dame runs the ball, you don't really see teams like that across the country, and Syracuse never really competed in this game. Run over like a dump truck by Notre Dame. Number three. Wake Forest similarly rolled by Louisville. But again, the big difference between the two, Notre Dame rolling Syracuse. That happened because Notre Dame was the better side and it was obvious. For Wake, it was a lot of self-inflicted wounds. A lot of turnovers that were uncharacteristic of Wake Forest. So the Deeks, mostly because Syracuse also had a big loss, only falls one spot, but still has a lot of room to grow when you consider their next three opponents are against ranked teams. Number two. The North Carolina Tar Heels. Maybe divisions aren't as bad after all when you consider you might get the two best teams playing each other in the ACC championship still. Then again, just kidding on that front because it takes a lot of the drama out of many of these division races. Coastal's already decided pretty much, and the Atlantic's decided. Just imagine how much more exciting North Carolina Wake Forest would be a couple weeks from now, which was announced as a 7.30 kick earlier today, if those two teams were playing for a spot in Charlotte on the line. Same thing for North Carolina NC State the last weekend of the year. How much more exciting that game is if North Carolina has to win it against their rival in order to secure that spot in Charlotte. We're robbed of that because of this division format. Number one. The number one story, or the number one team in critically acclaimed segment we do in here, it's the Clemson Tigers. And I'm fascinated to see what the college football playoff committee does with them tomorrow because I test doesn't really favor Clemson. We all understand that. But they deserve benefit of the doubt in a way that only Alabama and maybe Georgia probably deserve, given what they've been since 2015. Their alleged down year, they still won 10 games and beat the ACC Atlantic champions Wake Forest by a ton a year ago. It has a lot of good wins that should be respected more than they are in the national media. But this committee has shown, contrary to popular belief, more respect than the for the ACC than you might think. Last year, they were ranking Wake Forest higher than the AP pollsters did. And let's not forget, I always feel bad for the committee chair that they trot out there to answer impossible questions and answer it vaguely. Like Reese Davis asked the perfect questions and the guy just can't answer them the way in a way that's satisfying for anyone. The poor sap that's text that is tasked with that this year is no other than NC State AD Boo Corrigan. So don't give me this nonsense about the ACC is not going to get a fair rap or any of that. When literally the guy who's representing the committee, as part of the committee, the committee chair, is NC State's AD, Bukork. So that's been critically acclaimed for this week.
Now we go to Augusta Stone, who's a first-time visitor on the show. Panthers.com. You should read her stuff. And before we get into the NFL and the game that was crazy yesterday that you were at, Augusta, we probably should start with college football because I am fresh off my first ever visit to Tennessee over the weekend. Been telling you about this. And the Vols, oh, they delivered. And Neyland Stadium delivered. You are a University of Georgia grad. We're carrying Tennessee, Georgia on our airwaves on Saturday, and everybody's going to be excited for that. How concerned are you for your dogs this weekend? Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, super excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Second of all, just hearing you talk about that made my stomach drop a little bit. Um, I am very nervous. Um, I've been talking about it for quite a few weeks now. And I'm going to give a quick shout-out to our team photographer, one of our team photographers, Kenny Richmond, who is a UT grad who has been giving me so much, just just giving me so much trouble all season about the balls and oh the balls and I'm telling you the worst part about it is if Georgia ends up losing I'm gonna have to walk in on Sunday and hear it from Kenny so I'm really hoping they pull it out for not only my my uh, alma mater and I love the dogs but also just so I don't have to hear it at work from one of my close friends. But, but hold <laughs> one second, Augusta, you guys are on the road to Cincinnati next week. Are there already plans in the work with travel and whatnot in order to watch this game you're right you're right you're right well I do not know what time our plane will be leaving but I can assure you that it'll be pulled up on both of our cell phones on a little YouTube TV app I can assure you that <laughs> so I you're right you're right we are going to Cincinnati see the weeks blur together I go with the flow you know they tell me you go on a plane I get on a plane <laughs> Belichick vibes we're on the Cincinnati Augusta Stone with us here panthers.com follow her on Twitter at Augusta Stone what was see when when the Panthers were at home we're in the locker room and you always get a really good sense for the vibe of where things are at when you get a chance to talk to the guys after a win or a loss. We were not in Atlanta like you were yesterday, so paint the picture. What was the most compelling thing you heard said in that locker room in Atlanta? So I think the most compelling thing, um, just from my point of view, wasn't even necessarily something that was said. I think there was a tone, you know, I mean, the, the disappointment we've seen, um, you know, some losses this year in the, in the mood. Um, this one was really a heartbreaker um, just of how it went about. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I took away was when Eddie Pinero was speaking with the media scrum um, about four of his, and I only saw four of his teammates. There could have been more, but I saw Baker Mayfield, Derek Brown, J.J. Jansen and Johnny Hecker, they all kind of got behind the scrum and were watching. And then immediately, as soon as Eddie was done talking, Baker went and talked to him. I spoke with uh, J.J. and Johnny and Derek afterward, and they had all had their chance to speak with Eddie. And I think it was it's one of those things, I've seen it a lot on Twitter, you know, the two missed kicks. It's, you can't make mistakes like that. It's really tough. And he knows that, and he took accountability. And at the same time, they are riding with him here in Carolina. Eddie Pinero is the kicker, and he's sticking around. And Steve Wilkes told us today that they do not plan on uh, looking at anyone else right now. And so it's like they just wanted to instill that, you know, we believe in you, don't get down yourself too bad kind of thing. And um, that was really, you know, you hear a lot about team culture and, and I think it's, you know, kind of gets cliche sometimes, but, but I sat there, I was at the corner of the scrum. So there were a lot of media members who, I mean, you know, Baker and Johnny and them were just right behind him. They didn't even see him, but I just turned my head a little bit and I saw it and they were just, you know, 
just wanting to show support. It was almost like, you know, whenever you're a kid and you're in like fifth grade in the spelling bee and you look out and you see your parents watching, you know what I mean? Like you feel secure. And I, I felt that, you know, that kind of camaraderie and they just wanted to support. So I think more than anything, this locker room, you saw the game. It was a thriller. There was a ton of passion involved. It was very exciting. Um, but past that, you know, the, the passion that they have on the field, it really translates to that locker room. They're really tight-knit. And that's the kind of team culture, I think, that, that they're trying to build here with all the attrition that's been going on with the interim coach and no Christian, just so much going on. That, to me, really stood out. And that's something that fans do not get to see. Augusta, so that's something I really want to communicate. Augusta Stone with us here from Panthers.com. And it kind of reminds me of the way the locker room really rallied around P.J. Walker when he had success after the game uh, that they won a week ago and against Tampa Bay. Shaq Thompson pretty forcefully saying after the Rams game, hey, let this guy sling it. They're behind their guy. And it wasn't just Eddie Pinheiro that Steve Wilkes stood behind today. It was also P.J. Walker as well. I take it that doesn't really surprise you so much. It certainly does not. Um, I think that second half, I mean, it's, you, if you watch the second half of that game, I mean, that Hail Mary, uh, we heard so many times in the locker room today, guys saying, you know, they, they've never seen, you know, a pass quite like that. Um, I think, uh, I might butcher the stat, but I think it was had the longest amount of air yards since they started tracking the next-gen stats or something like that. It was I mean, just that throw, and you can't obviously, you know, tell a guy he still has the job after just one throw, but he really did, you know, had that mistake in the first half, right before halftime. It was a costly mistake, no question, but he really does have, you know, the confidence and trust of his, his skill position players. You know, the receivers, Terrace Marshall, we saw him have a big game very quietly. I mean, you know, with a loss, it's really kind of focusing on what happened with the loss, but there's a lot to uncover there. I mean, Terrace is out here, you know, showing, you know, that he's going to emerge from where he should be, you know, as a second-round pick. And and I think he has a lot of confidence in P.J. That's not to say they didn't have confidence in Baker. They wouldn't have confidence in Sam. But right now they've been building it with P.J. And that chemistry and that trust, it's, you know, we get some consistency now. This is his fourth consecutive start coming up in Cincinnati. I think philosophically it makes a ton of sense. Um, so I wasn't surprised at all. Right. And, um Frankly, I, I, I mean, you know, you have to ask the question, but it, it seems like a given to me. All right, we got Augusta Stone here. This is something WD, our producer, Will, and I have been thinking about, and I've just been stalling. I think I have an answer, but I'll wait and see if Augusta has one before I share mine. WD had a sick Spider-Man outfit that he pulled off once upon a time when he was at college. Was it at Peace that you wore this? That was a William okay. Peace. Yeah. yeah, okay. You got strong Andrew Garfield vibes, even though... We can agree. Toby Maguire, that's the real Spider-Man here. Of course. Okay. Augusta, what's the best Halloween costume you ever pulled off? The one that you felt really confident in that you pulled off? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So if you need a moment to me... think, you let me know, and I'll share the ones I have here. Okay. Share yours. I'm going to give – I have a couple answers, but I want to pick the best one. Okay. So please share So, yours. for me, <laughs> twice in college, I went to East Carolina where Halloween's a pretty big deal. And uh, I was Ron Weasley twice, and that went really well. Easy costume. But probably the best one I pulled off was shortly after The Hangover came out. I had a tooth knocked out when I was a kid, which turned out to be the same tooth from The Hangover. My teeth all shifted, and I had braces the entire deal to open up that gap in order to get an implant. But after I had to wait, there was a period before 
the braces were taken off before I got the implant that allowed for me to do the Ed Helms Halloween costume. Oh, The my. same tooth he's missing in that movie is the same one that I'm missing. So it was a world-class, like, stars-aligning type of outfit where I was Ed Helms' character from The Hangover. Oh, my goodness. See, now I can't follow that up. That is so Sorry. Good. That's, I'm sorry that about is- that, Augusta. All right, I have, I have two. I'm going to give you two. Um, one of them is just a really fun one that I did in college with a group of my friends that I think is really silly and fun. Um, about two years ago, so it was in, during 2020, we all dressed up and took pictures in our apartment, but it was still, you know, quarantine, everyone, you know, stay in your place. But we did Minecraft characters, and we dressed up like I was still in a skirt, and I was I was the creeper, so I was the green one. Oh. And my friend painted these boxes, so we wore, like, boxes on our heads, and that was really, really funny and really cute and, uh, you know, kind of silly. Yeah. Um, another time in high school, I was a hipster, so I had, like, the little sunglasses and a little hat. Um, and that one fit because uh, it was, like, a running joke when I was in high school that, like, I listened to the indie music, and I loved 500 Days of Summer. So I was, like, that girl. Whoa, My world's shifting around me. 500 Days of Summer is my favorite movie. This is weird. That's my favorite movie. No, see, this is weird. This is weird. WD has no idea what we're talking about because he doesn't know anything about movies. I'm literally Googling it right now. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. Okay. To quote Step Brothers. Good. To yeah. quote Step Brothers, <laughs> did we just become best friends? Friends. The answer is probably yes. Okay, Augusta. Uh, thank you for the time. Uh, we'll have to do this again, and I'll see you in a press box sometime near uh, in the next few weeks or so. Of course, of course. Thank you so much. So much fun. Good talking with y'all.